Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Making Money Less Weird with Kristen Merrick. And I embarrassed the guy, and I was so happy that I did because it was one of the most glaring, uh, sexist things I had ever seen when it relates to money. Kristen O'Keefe Merrick is a financial advisor with O'Keefe Financial Partners. She has over 17 years of investment experience, having spent the first part of her career as a sales trader in the foreign exchange and emerging markets at various international banks, serving most recently as vice president at Morgan Stanley before joining her family's company as a dynamic next-gen leader. Today, Kristen uses her background and experience toward the empowerment of individuals, families, small businesses, and nonprofit organizations in the challenging world of finance. She is a hands-on money expert who is especially excited to work with female entrepreneurs and executives to provide them with creative financial strategies and solutions. Without question, Kristen gets the idea of money stories. With her signature honesty and humor, Kristen walks us through her ideas about ensuring that women feel confident, educated, and empowered when it comes to money. We're so delighted today to have an amazing guest for our Money Stories conversation. Want to welcome Kristen O'Keefe Merrick. Kristen, you have so many things that we can talk about. Your own personal story, of course, your career in financial services at some of the largest institutions, and now as a financial advisor working directly with so many clients. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Linda. This is so much fun. I'm excited. You really are in a unique position to share your money story because it's your family business. I mean, wow. Talk about a great story to, to share. You come from a family of financial advisors you're in the firm where I believe your dad is a managing partner of the firm, O'Keefe Financial Partners, and here you are having joined the family business. So I want to start off a little bit on the personal side, uh, given that background, and ask, was money and personal finance actually discussed with you when you were a kid? Uh, You know, it really was, but people always assume that it was my father that was having all these discussions with us. Right. And to a certain extent, I guess there was, he was always good at like answering our, our questions. I used to ask a lot of questions about the market. I was incredibly precocious, which is my polite way of saying that I was probably a mildly annoying um, child. But uh, so I would ask, you know, dad, why was the market up today, blah, blah, blah. But it was my mom who was, um, for lack of a better word, a bit of an overshare when it came to kind of, the way that the family worked and the way that the finances worked. Um, I'm the oldest of five children and uh, I was actually almost five years older than my, the second of the, of the five. So there was a bit of an age gap between me and when the second child came, my sister's Katie was born a lot of kids. There was a lot of kids in a, in a, in, in a short period of time. And I was pretty savvy about money and life and things. And we had some money struggles and that, terrible crash in the late eighties, uh, really materially impacted us. And so at a very early age, I was very aware of money, aware of what money could get me and what it couldn't get, you know, what lack of money couldn't get me. And it 
really, I think, set the foundation for me at, a, I would say, nine, 10 years old of knowing that I wanted money. Um, I wanted my own money to do the things I wanted to do with it. Um, I was always particularly scrappy. I, I remember I, I sold friendship bracelets on the playground at, in fifth grade. I had a business. Wow. <laughs> I would like bully girls to buy my bracelets. I'd be like, you really need this one. Um, and then I got a job at 14. I worked at Harmon Cosmetic Health and Beauty Aids. I was a very good cashier. Um, I was not good at anything else but the cashier that they only knew they only put me on the cash register because that's where I worked my my best. Um, and then I just hustled. I always had multiple jobs at once. Um, I went into college knowing that I was going to be a business major. Uh, I didn't quite understand what that was going to manifest into. I just knew that I wanted to be a business business major. And the reason I wanted to be a business major was because I wanted to come out and make money. Um, oh, you really have from your family, even though there were some challenges, of course, your dad was in the business. Mm -hmm. So it was part of the family culture, if you yeah. will. Your mom, it sounds like in that role was also a very good communicator mm -hmm. in, in a way in that this was part of the family conversation. It yes. wasn't separate. And so when you combine that with what sounds like your own just DNA as someone who is direct and, and ready to go after what you want, that, that does really create a money story. Not everybody can, is in that situation. And oh, so yeah. I think haven't, I know we, we agree on this, that as we talk with our clients and others, for a lot of people, money is actually very difficult to talk about Absolutely. because there's no practice in it. And, you know, we know it's complicated. You shared a little about, a bit about your story. It creates anxiety. Given your background and of course your work too, but given your own personal background, do you find that outside of work, you have money conversations with friends? Oh, today with family? Always, always have too. Even before I was an advisor, um, I was always, overly concerned about everyone else's money. So how do you approach that? How do you, how do you start those conversations? Um, I think sometimes I'm just kind of, I just kind of overstep my boundaries. <laughs> I, I always say that I'm the queen of unsolicited advice. And so I think that like throughout life, I've just been like, wait, what, what are you doing? like talk to me about this. And then I'm like, no, that's a ter I, I mean, I'm notorious for being like, that's a terrible idea. You shouldn't do that. So uh, then do you find that that directness then relieves some of the hesitancy that yeah, I, I have? I think most people who know me well uh, kind of have um, come to the conclusion that I am going to tell you what I think pretty um, straightforward and without much, um, without much sugarcoating. And, mm -hmm. and I think I've always been that friend to a lot of people. And by the way, Linda, conversely, I'm oh, I've always been that person that people shield certain information from as well, because they don't want me to judge them. <laughs> so that's well, or in, because they them. know this is an area of, of interest and expertise that you have. And it's also would, I think we would agree, it's still a taboo topic for okay. many. And so that almost points out even more how much need there is to talk about it. Because the fact that you 
bring it up for some just reminds them this is hard. Oh, I mean, people are so afraid to talk about money. I mean, so what do you want them to rewrite in their, in their financial I think, life? I think it's like the kind of the early, listen, everybody comes at money and learns about money in different ways. And in some ways people don't learn about it at all, which in itself is, is the problem, right? So they kind of grow up in maybe a bit of a sheltered environment where they're, they're not told about, oh, hey, by the way, I have to go and I have to pay for these things that you want as, you know, I have to pay for your toys. I have to buy your clothes. I have to pay for college. You know, a lot of parents shield their kids from that. And so they come out into the world and they're completely unequipped about mm -hmm. money or they have had certain traumas or life situations where money has been kind of triggers and things like that. I think my big thing that I always want to rewrite for people is that these truths multiple, tr you know, the plural of truth, the truths that we tell ourselves or that, that we've started to believe, right? Like, um, you know, all day long, I can say to myself, you know, I'm, I'm overweight, I'm overweight, I'm overweight, I'm overweight. I could tell myself that a hundred times a day and I can start to believe it, right? I'm not overweight, but I can start to believe that I am um, because that's the truth that I've made, I've made, made myself. And I think money has, I think there's a lot of that in money, um, I, I sat down with somebody uh, a few years ago and, and the, before her butt was in the seat, she says to me, I hate talking about money. There it you go. So uncomfortable. And I said to her, I go, well, why would you start that conversation this way? Um, this is something that you, you're coming to this meeting with this thing in your brain. Let's rewire the way you think about it. And, and it's, you know, it's that whole idea of manifestation. If you manifest money mm -hmm. and you about money is a way of like, I love you. I want you come to me. Then it follows. If you constantly tell it, tell money that you hate it, it's going to go find somebody else to go hang out with. So it's a core belief that we, we bring a core belief. I think so. I think, topic. yeah. And I think also part the, the secondary part of this, which I think is layered into it is the, um, is not understanding it. And when you don't understand something, you shy away from it. So one of my goals always is to make sure that people understand it. And you and I both know that it's just not that complicated. You just have to explain it in the right way. Right. And so, well, I want to talk about financial education in a second. I do, I do want to ask you, maybe explore one more question about the challenges or the anxiety that money brings on. You had a great introduction to money as a kid you chose this field, you're clearly very naturally suited for it. Even through all those years, has there been a time when you personally felt anxious about money yourself? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I, I started my career uh, working on a currency desk. And so as a 22 year old, I, I made a lot of money. Um, and I made a lot of money throughout my twenties and I made a lot of money in my, in my early thirties. And so I never really, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes with my money, but I never was lacked for it. I always did what mm -hmm. I wanted and lived in beautiful apartments and took fabulous trips and my wardrobe. Oh, how I miss my wardrobe, Linda. Oh, God. But um, when I made this career transition, it was uh, it was really difficult. Um, I went from making very, very robust paychecks at, at Morgan Stanley um, to virtually overnight having 
own, no income at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and dad, my father was kind enough to give me, you know, a small salary and a draw and things like that so that I could actually kind of stay afloat. I was also incredibly, incredibly lucky that I had a bunch of deferred compensation from Morgan Stanley that were, that was able to kind of help me along the, the journey. But uh, we basically had to, you know, we had a home, two kids, um, and my salary went away. Mm-hmm. And, and really, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, we are just finally starting to see that light again, where I feel comfortable at money. I, I've spent probably the last three or four years pretty um, stressed about my own financial situation. And a lot of that, by the way, is just in my head. Right. A lot of that is just anxiety and things that I kind of have told myself that I need to have in the bank and I need to have. I've never been without. I want to be very clear about that. But I I really have struggled with trying to get myself back to a financial situation where I felt comfortable um, to the point where it was starting to like impact my marriage and, and impact kind of just my overall happiness because I was so concerned about this like random number that I had created in my head that I needed. And I really think it's fantastic that you share that because I think there's sometimes a perception that if you're a financial expert, it's your career, it's your family business, you, you're fine, you know, yeah. no yeah. problem. You're fine forever. Yeah. So I think that you're sharing that just really reiterates that this is like any other part of our quote wellness that right. it it ebbs and flows and their their changes and so you mentioned um, knowledge and so I'd love to to turn to that I know you and I both feel very very passionate about the importance of financial education. Where do you think that falls short today? If you think it does, and oh. maybe particularly for women. Yeah, I think it falls short uh, pretty much from when our kids are little. Um, I think that everybody wants to provide for their kids in a way that they want for nothing, right? I think that's kind of uh, some a mentality that a lot of people have. Uh, I don't totally share that view. I think my kids should want things and desire things that they can't have. I think that's part of life. Um, but I think that at a very early age, kids should learn about how money works, why it's important. I go to work to earn money. I come home and take that money and buy us things like food and clothing and toys. And I have taught my own kids that um, to the point where actually my younger kid is kind of turning into a bit of a cheapskate. <laughs> Just kind of. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Um, so anyway, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But um, so I think that it really starts at the in the home and with, at the parent level. And I and I do not think that the schools spend enough time on this. I really am my, my the biggest blind spot. I think is uh, right before college. It's that like fifteen to seventeen year old time frame where they're old enough to understand the concepts of compound interest, right. how it works, um, and it's before they go and take out these enormous amount of loans. Before they go, you know, and, and before they go make a decision to go to school A versus school B, if the difference in price is, you know, 50 grand a year. Um, and and that just, and by the way, it's not just students who have this lack of understanding. It's their parents who often yes. don't understand um, the, the difference between the two and, and the value of an institution. And I think that is kind of the crux of where it begins. Uh 
And then, of course, you come out of college without that knowledge. Um, you come burdened with an incredible amount of debt that you don't know how to pay off and you don't know why it's even important to pay it off. Right. Um, and then you kind of continue on your journey of making poor financial decisions like, oh, I'll just buy, I'll just put it on the credit card. Or without the background. Without any understanding mm-hmm. of debt. Um, mm-hmm. When I do my my like basic money course, right? The first thing I talk about is compound interest. And I do it in the most basic way ever, right? You know, you take an annual compound situation of 10% on a thousand dollars. And I explain over a three-year period what that looks like, what compound interest is. And then I say to the, I say to the audience, okay, (laughs) this is an annual compound example. Do we know what compounds on a daily basis? And no one raises their hand. And it's like very like, everybody's like drum roll. And then I say, well, your, your credit card compounds on a daily mm-hmm. basis. And everybody's brain explodes. And they're all just like horrified that they've never known this. And they're in their 30s and they don't even know. Right. So, I, I, you know, tackling this as early as as early on as possible, I think is, is crucial. What I struggle with, and, I, and you and I have talked about this, we've talked about this in, in groups. And I don't know how to get to that audience. I don't know how to do that. Um, I talk to a lot of women in their early twenties and I try to help them and I try to help clean up the messes that they've already created or, or try to get them on the right path. But I struggle with how do you get into the high schools and teach right. them this? It is a big challenge. And I think, you know, you and I agree that institutionalizing this, you know, is, is key. And, you know, it's going to take consistent work and advocacy by respected financial experts like yourself yeah. and demand from families. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, that's and demand from families. And I think what I struggle with is that most families don't realize they need it. Right. How do you make the family realize that they need the knowledge to begin with, I think is also a bit of a puzzle. Well, let me let me turn turn to this and then if I could use a maybe a bit of a stereotype about about what family means, but um, let's talk a little bit about women and yeah. in this context. Yeah. And we mentioned earlier sometimes that the fear of the topic is based on perhaps a lack of as much knowledge as, as we would as we would like. From your experience and working with your clients now, or even those conversations with your friends, do you see differences in how women approach money than men? I mean, I think we hear some people, some, some people with whom I speak say yes, others say no. And do you see differences? And are there particular challenges even today that women face when it comes to gaining sort of this confidence, competence, and control. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think broad strokes, the answer is yes, right? From a very, very macro level, I think that women and men um, kind of approach money in different ways. I think that women kind of generally tend to approach it from more of a place of fear um, than, uh, than men do. And again, I think part of that is that as younger women, we haven't been taught the tools, right? We maybe you know, haven't been, I always look back to um, just kind of underlying messaging about, uh, you know, what to study, what court, you know, what courses to take, 
or science and math or boy subjects and um, Legos or boy toys and things like that, you know, that, that we're kind of told subliminally at young ages. I tell the story a lot. And so, um, but I always think it's the most impactful story. We, ha- we used to have a client. He's no longer a client, which is a good thing. Uh, he has twins and uh, he decided one day he was going to come in with his son and teach and have us teach his son about how investing works. And right 10 minutes before the meeting, dad comes in and he says, hey, can you come sit in this meeting? I really want you to kind of talk to this young guy about, about how investing works. He's 15 years old. So I kind of like do one of these, I, I walk into the meeting and there's the father and there's the son. And I say, where's your daughter? Good for you. <laughs> you have a 15 year old daughter. Why isn't she also here to learn about money? And I embarrassed the guy. And I was so happy that I did because it was the one of the most glaring uh, sexist things I had ever seen when it relates to money. And so that is a perfect example of kind of the, the handicap that women have right. in with. Um, and I do truly believe that women are coaxed and guided in their studies at both on a, both on a secondary le- level and, and been, again at the university that they're told and, and reinforced to study certain subjects that as a result, result in lower paying jobs. When they- right. That's part one. Part two is that again, because women haven't necessarily been told about investing or it hasn't necessarily been a focus, they come to me at a lower level of financial literacy. Um, And so I have to kind of start necessarily at maybe at a lower risk level, a lower risk tolerance. And therefore that's also a handicap. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really, I really try to drive home immediately, especially with first time investors. It's like, I know this may be out of your comfort zone. This is where you probably should be on a risk level. I think this is where you actually are. The goal is to get you there and let's try to do that over time. I don't have really that conversation with most men. Most men are, they know everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm also casting big brush strokes here. No, understood. They know everything. They're, they're happier to take risks. Men in general, I feel are easier, to, are, are better risk takers. I will say that over time though, I think women are equal or better investors than men once they are comfortable doing it and taking advice because they do tend to take advice better than sometimes men do. And well, I, I completely agree with right? you. I think that yeah. we've, we've seen some, some data about that. So let's picking up, picking up on that. I'm so struck by the guts that you had to challenge your client yeah, about that obvious, but um, that took you being in the room. Yeah, you a confident, experienced financial expert being in the room, thinking about our industry, the financial services industry. How do you th- would you like to see the industry transform and adapt so that there are more conversations like the one you tackled yeah. in those rooms with clients? So, okay, this is a bit of a kind of a step backwards, but do, do you ever read the, um, you know, they just came out with the glass door rankings on the mm-hmm. best places to work, right? And yes. they put it up large, middle, middle and small and small businesses. And I just read it, I don't know, maybe two days ago. And what struck me immediately is that I went through the large companies and not one bank was on there. Hmm. 
as the best places to work. Not one single solitary bank was in. There was a few insurance companies. There was a few fintech, but not one financial institution of any kind of recognizable level was on this list. And right there and then I said to myself, this is the fundamental problem that banks do not value work-life balance. Still in this day and age, they do not value it. And that is at the end of the day, I believe the bottom line as to why there are not enough women in this in, mm-hmm. in, in period. And, and I, and I, and I'm saying that on the financial advisor level, which you and I both know there's, you know, we are unicorns. Right. Um, and I'm saying that on the institutional level where all you have to do is walk through a, a dealing room, a trading floor, or, you know, the, the banking floor, and, and you can basically just do the numbers, do the math. Um, it starts out even Stevens, you come out of college. I remember my training program. I came out of college at B of A. Uh, my B of A pre-training program was, I think, 50, 50 kids in sales and trading. And I think we were halvesies, female to, um, to male. And basically over time, the women end up filtering out. And, and maybe it's because they're having kids and they can't go back. Or maybe it's because they've just been burned out because they've been overlooked for promotions and overlooked for pay. But um, there's so many problems within the financial services business about retention of women. I'm not even sure where to start. So is, is it a, a long-term challenge then about who are the leaders of these institutions? Yeah. Who, are, who are the board members and who are the leaders who can be that person for that institution like you were with your client to really help change those cultures. Yeah, I, you know, I think part of the problem is that I remember at Morgan Stanley, there was a women's initiative, right? I think every large bank has a women's initiative. The fact that there has to be a women's initiative in its own right at these banks, you know, kind of already clar- it puts a spotlight on the actual problem. Um, and, I, you know, it was constantly the same conversation and there was always the advocates. And sometimes, by the way, some of the advocates were the CEOs themselves. Right. Um, I remember John Mack back in, this is before my time at Morgan Stanley, but John Mack was the CEO and he had a women's and he was in the women's initiative meeting. And John Mack had a very interesting way of, of management. And he basically was like, what do I have to do to fix the problem around here? And one woman raised her hand and she was like, we could have more maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Good. Oh, well, what's our maternity leave policy? And somebody's like eight weeks. He's like, great. It's 16 weeks now. <laughs> and they, boom, immediately changed the leave policy at Morgan Stanley to 16 weeks, which at the time was incredibly was huge. generous. Yes. Incredibly generous. Um, so so there, it's not that there's not good people at the top who understand the problems. It's more... Um, getting these ideas to trickle down and actually become part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And the culture of a dealing room, a trading floor is to, you know, work as much as possible, make as much money, um, you know, dial, 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 you know, book trades. And there's not a lot of room for, hey, I got to go take my kids to the pediatrician. Uh, hey, I'm going to work from home tomorrow because work from home. I mean, before COVID, there was no such thing. Right. No one worked from home. It was impossible to do. So it's a really big problem to fix. I think in our business, in the in the advisor side, um, 
I think there's a, other hurdles that I, I actually, I'm, I'm always intrigued to hear what you say about this. Like there's so many hurdles on the financial advising side and I think the numbers are actually skewed because I think women who are actually out there bringing in business and, and actually advising clients um, are actually smaller than the, than the uh, statistics represent. I think a lot of advisors who are women are like people who are maybe client relationship managers mm-hmm. like that, who are, you know, who have licenses and whatever, but they're not necessarily doing what, what, what we've done. So I think there's tons of work to be done. And, and I, and I've had this conversation so many times with so many people, um, but it really comes down to like the skill set which you need in order to do this job properly. How do you get the skill set? What do you do in order to, to attain the skill set? And um, and having the confidence to go out and build a business, which as you know is is really hard. Right. So while all of that, you know, is still going on, then to, to me it brings us back to hopefully one of the purposes of conversations like the ones we're having is that women are more and more going to be the clients. Yeah. We are going to be more and more the key drivers, the decision makers and consumers. So while the industry is getting caught up to that, if you will, then it will be perhaps an opportunity for women working together, collaborating together to encourage the knowledge and the conversations and being as confident as possible in our own decision-making right. about, about the topic. Um, you know, you've, in an interview that you had, Kristen, with InStyle, you pointed out another opportunity that where we can impact. And you said, it's easy to write a check to charity, but if you invest in a woman, a founder, a company, that money has the potential not only to come back to you, but to grow for you in a meaningful way. So, Talk about how, oh, how you well, think about investing about in women who are entrepreneurs. My favorite topics. So it's so interesting because actually, um, I, I don't know if you know the women at the helm, um, Lindsay Taylor Wood and, and, and Julie Weber, but they, they do a lot of talking about this because they, you know, they're a, they're a VC fund and, um, and they always say that it's so hard sometimes to get women to write checks. And the same women who they're asking for to invest in their fund are the same women who would think nothing of writing a check to the Red Cross for Mm -hmm. $50,000. And yet this kind of insurmountable like idea of investing that money. Oh, I got to talk to my husband. Well, did you have to talk to your husband about the $50,000 check to the Red Cross? Well, no, but I do have to talk to my husband about this investment. Well, what's the difference? Well, the Mm -hmm. difference is that if you invest (laughs) in something, um, you will potentially make money on it and it will grow for you. And, and, and that's a really hard concept for, I think, a lot of people to understand. Um, and furthermore, by investing in something you believe in or someone you believe in, that is just as impactful and um, bucket filling, so to speak, as, uh, as making a donation to a charity, right? So it, again, this is a big mindset change. Right. I think this is something I hope thing. I hope that a lot of the work that I'm doing um, in both in both my advising business, but also in the work that I do with my best friend in our organization, Women Work Hard, is that the idea is, is suddenly not so new and 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 uh, novel, right? Like 
oh, it's a novel concept to go help a woman raise Mm -hmm. capital or to invest in her venture or to advise her or things like that. Um, It's crucial, right? And and women are notoriously, have a notoriously hard time raising capital. Uh, And I think like if we could all make that effort to support women's businesses and and whether that's even just shopping for women's businesses. Well, I I think that's that's a great analogy and a great... um, comparison to educate women, all of us about the topic, because again, some of these stereotypes about it's okay for us to be a leader in film and philanthropy. Right. And that's, you know, wonder it's important, but we can also be a leader in another aspect uh, that involves, that involves money. Yeah. So which that's key. eventually will help you, right? Like yeah. you, if you can invest and, and create an investment portfolio, the objective is that that grows over time and you make money. Yes. So you'll have more, <laughs> other women will have more, the whole, the whole story will multiply yeah. back to compound interest. Yes, that's compound interest. <laughs> Look what we just did. <laughs> so, you know, our time is, is, um, is, is drawing to a close, but I have one, you know, final question um, sitting here this past year, no matter what chair you're in, whether you're an advisor, sitting with your family, wherever we are, it's been a a time of tremendous disruption and change. Can you share with us what's top of mind for you about what you've learned during this time, whether it pertains to your leadership, where have you been inspired? Any any words to share about where we are? Yeah, you know, I I think... One of the things that I have totally always taken for granted and, and now never going to take for granted again is um, how, Im- how important these teachers are and how amazing they are and how um, not having these kids in school on a daily basis has just really rocked everything. And it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously impacting kids and it's obviously impacting us, but I just think it's impacted the entire country. And I think we can all kind of walk away from this, having such a different um, view of how hard our teachers work and how important they are. And I, and I, I, you know, on a daily basis, I struggle with this whole life that we're all living right now, because it's just a complete juggle. This is just a complete juggle. And it's so incredibly difficult. Um, But I think that what I, the other, my big, other big kind of takeaway here from completely different from that is, is I have started to really, really get more and more concerned by this kind of growing gap that we're living in this country in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of wealth. Right. Um, I mean, most of the people in my realm, in my world, my clients, my friends have been materially unimpacted. They have been unimpacted by this from a financial standpoint. And, um, and, and so to see numbers like yesterday's jobless numbers and to see last week's numbers and to see the food, um, the food, the food, uh, deposit queues and things like that. I mean, that is, that is what is so hard. And, and you can see that obviously manifesting in other ways in civil unrest and, and anger and things like that. So I, I think one of the things that I want to constantly be thinking about and how to address and how to focus and how to, how to, uh, fix is this, is this poverty gap. Um, and, and I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to spend a lot more time focusing on and thinking about in the coming years. 
Well, I, I can't think of any more important messages for us to finish on is your recognition and gratitude toward our teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about financial education, education. Without education, we know that economic advancement is, is in peril for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And just our continuing education about this world and society. And so we appreciate your ongoing uh, contributions in all of these ways. And want to make sure, Kristen, that our listeners know where to find you. So tell us where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram, which is the girl who saves money. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you can find our site is www.okeefefinancialpartners.com. Uh, you can email me at Kristen at Um, But yeah, I, I, um, I don't really post financial advice, uh, but I do, um, will make you laugh on my Instagram, I think. So that's good. good. Well, we need to, we need to continue to hear from, um, advisors, women and firms like yours that have such a healthy culture and are really creating change, whether from a, on a daily basis with your clients or some of these more important messages. So, yeah, have one more plug. so the other, the other organization that I run with my best friend, Lindsay Shook is, is uh, called women work fucking hard. And um, we also have an Instagram uh, at women work effing hard. And our website is um, hard. So um, we, the goal in pre COVID days was to throw as many parties as we can bring all these fabulous women together, you know, highlight female owners, whether that's through the gift bag and the, uh, we're figuring out that out. Ideally we'll have a fall party, but we do a lot of other things as well. And, um, and so, and we love, we're, we have this wonderful growing community of, of women who, who support other women. And it's really, it really fills me in a way that nothing else really does. Well, there you go. I think that says it all. You yourself have just described that you do work effing hard all the time. <laughs> So thanks so much, Kristen, for being with us Thank today. Best of luck for the year ahead. Thank you. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time. <laughs>